0: Good morning, Westside. This morning we are in Psalm 90. We'll be reading all of Psalm 90. Verse 1. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world. From everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or as a watch in the night. You'd sweep them away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. In the morning it flourishes and is renewed. In the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to you an end by your anger. By your wrath we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you. Our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The end, the years of our life are 70, or even by reason of strength, 80. Yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone, and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and your wrath according to the fear? Let the favor of our Lord, our God, be upon us, and establish the work of our hands upon us. Yes, establish the work of our hands. And this is the word of the Lord. Well, good morning, Westside.
1: We are glad that you're here, and you're like, man, I wanted the Guns and Roses version, you know? Well, listen, um, we are starting a new series today. And if it's your first Sunday here, welcome. This is a wonderful Sunday for you to be here. It is Family Worship Sunday, where we worship together as a church family and have our kiddos in here. So we just spent a number of weeks in a series entitled New Year, New Family. And we got a ton of feedback on that series. You can go to our website and check that out. And basically what we did is we paused and each Sunday we looked at the scriptures and asked a question about, what does the Bible say about my family? What does the Bible say about my marriage? What does the Bible say about parenting? What does the Bible say about singleness? And so we walked through that, and you can check that out on our website. But today, we begin a new series entitled Memento More. And here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna dive right in. There's no like you know soft opener and a little bit of an illustration, We are just diving in and my job today is this, I need to introduce this series as to why we are spending time on it, but also I've got to get to the text in Psalm 90 as well because here at Westside we don't really care about what the preacher has to say as much as what God's Word has to say, amen? Amen. And so we'll dive into that. And what I'm going to do today is I'm going to ask a series of questions that I have been asked as we have launched uh, launched this series entitled Memento Mori. And so the first question is very um, simply this. What in the world does that phrase mean? Okay. What does the phrase Memento Mori even mean? Well, first and foremost, um, it comes from the Latin translation um, of our Bibles. And in Genesis chapter 3, verse 19, the scripture says this, God has just created everything good and perfect. And Adam and Eve, our first parents, rather than worshiping God, they decided to be their own God. They, they believed the lie that they could be God because God was holding out on them. And in light of that, sin entered into God's creation and it fractured and it tainted everything. That's why perfection doesn't exist anymore. Because God's creation was perfect But sin fractured everything. And in Genesis 3.19, God says this to mankind. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread till you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. For you are dust. And to dust you shall return. So through the ages of church history... There have been services known as Ash Wednesday, which just happened this past Wednesday. And some of the traditions that you grew up in, in that service you would come forward and the priest or the bishop would dip their finger in ashes and then put the sign of the cross on your forehead and say, from dust you were created and to dust you shall return. So primarily um, through the ages, that phrase got shortened to memento more, which simply means this, remember your death, remember your death. That's where the phrase originally comes from. But there's an incredible story that's told through Roman history. So whenever a gladiator or Caesar would go out and fight another country, there would be a procession whenever he would come back into town. There would be a great victory. And everybody would cheer for Russell Crowe because he just won the great gladiator, right? And nobody knew how to throw a party like the Romans did. But history records that as the gladiator was riding in his chariot and literally rose petals were being thrown and people were cheering, history records that there would be a slave in the chariot with the gladiator. And as people are literally cheering, our victor, our champion, you have saved us. You can imagine what that would do to somebody's head, right? If literally thousands of people are praising you. The slave would be in the chariot, and under his breath, he would say, Memento more, memento more, memento more. Remember your death. Remember that you are just a man. Remember that you will die. So why are we going to spend all of this time leading up to Easter on a series about death? Now, we could have done a number of things, but I want to walk you through some very practical reasons why we're going to spend this time from now all the way up to Easter doing just that, remembering our death. Why why would we do that? Well, the very first reason is this, um, the church calendar. So there are thousands upon thousands of Christians that are worshiping and doing this very thing. If you didn't grow up in church, that's awesome, that's great. But we know through church history that the church has revolved around the life of Jesus. And the church calendar starts in Advent when we celebrate the birth of Jesus Christ. And then it moves into Epiphany which celebrates that Jesus is God. And then after Epiphany, it moves into the season known as Lent. Now, that's not the stuff that's on your shirt when you get them out of the dryer. What that literally means is it's the season for us to focus on the cross. There's this moment in the Gospels where it says that Jesus set His face towards Jerusalem. And then from that point on, He doesn't stop in towns. He doesn't spend a lot of time teaching. Jesus is going to Calvary. And thousands of years through church history, what we see is during this time of year, when we slow down and we recognize that Good Friday is coming and that the cross is central to our faith, we stop and we reflect on our own mortality. So so that's a base reason why we're doing that. The second reason why we're doing that is really because of the past two years in the pandemic. I mean, I don't know about you, but there has never been a time in my lifetime like the past couple of years. It's been bonkers. And, And I don't even know if we've even had a time to pause and reflect about how this has impacted us. But literally... For almost a year, every morning and every night, various news stations would have a death toll and a death clicker at the top of the screen. Now, no matter what news or no matter what you listen to, that affects human beings every day. Literally, during the pandemic, Google released all of this data, and one of the number one things that was Googled was what happens to you after you die. Death was in the top ten most Googled things over the past couple of years. And then in light of that not even trying to be political at all. We were locked away in our homes with our screens, and the video of George Floyd goes viral. And we watch with our eyes, and America splits in two. Now, not even the political implications. I think that we haven't even had time to process something like this. And what we watched was a tragedy. And then it almost seemed to get heightened again with the death of Kobe Bryant. And we see now that these people that we immortalize are very simply mortal. And so over the past two years, death has been almost like the elephant in the room. It's been everywhere subliminally and then just right in our face. So it's not just to pause and reflect because the church tradition tells us to do that, but this is something that we have all been experiencing, which leads me to the third reason. All of our shared experiences. Um... Not just through COVID, but many of us in this room know people directly who have passed away. And many of us in this room struggled. And many of us and many of you that I know thought that you would be on that death counter because of the pandemic. But not just that. There has been something that has gone on over the past couple of years that me as your pastor, I have felt... I feel over the past couple of years that I have stood by too many gravesides and I've shepherded and I've walked with you and we've grieved together. These are real experiences that we've gone through. And then for my own family, we had an experience where death entered into our life and our gaga was gone. And our whole world was turned upside down. Daily routines and daily phone calls. And everything changed. And in that process and in that season, one of the things that I realized was this. Our children had experienced that for the very first time. The death of a loved one. And I noticed this in the season that kids are very free and open about talking about death. But adults aren't. And I found myself almost trying to give the hallmark cookie-cutter answers, but in reality, having to really just hold and cry. There were no answers. There was just a lot of weeping. So it's not just shared experiences and the way that these things have entered into our world. But now when we get to the facts, one of the things when I began studying it was this, how much the Bible talks about death. I mean, you know, Hallmark and and Hobby Lobby tend not to have remember your death on uh, coffee mugs and sweatshirts, okay, right? And I thought literally through this series, we can make a whole new line of bumper stickers, right? You're going to die. Have a great day, you know, or something like that. But, listen, if we are going to be people of the Bible... And oh, we love that when it reinforces our beliefs, and we love it whenever it reinforces our political statements and this, that, and the other. But when the Bible reminds you of your mortality, we tend to skip those parts. I did a little bit of research, and there are over 2,000 plus verses that speak or mention death dying, or what the Bible calls sleeping directly, over 2,000 verses. On average, when you average it out with Bible characters and all of that passing away, the Bible mentions death every nine chapters in the Bible. It mentions it, and it talks about it. So it's not just the church calendar. It's not just what we've all been walking through the past couple of years. It's not just our shared experiences. The Scriptures speak to this, but the last one's probably the most important. And it's that everybody dies. Everyone. I'll never forget hearing a youth pastor say this. One out of every one human beings dies. And I was like, carry the one, add the zero. Oh, that's right. Yeah, right? That this is the ultimate reality. Listen, this is what stoic philosophers, this is what the great minds have thought about. Any philosopher will tell you one of the things that's unique about human beings is we are the only creature that knows that it will die. Your dog or your cat does not lay around going, what am I making of my life, right? It doesn't do that. Your cat for sure doesn't do that, okay? For sure. But the reality is is that is something that is unique about us as human beings. And I think about the verse in Hebrews chapter 9, verse 27. And just as it is appointed for man to die once, and after that comes the judgment. When I think about that, there's another verse in Hebrews that comes to my mind. As your pastor, this is my charge from the Scriptures. This is the job description that God lays over my life. And in Hebrews it says this, Obey your leaders... And submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. That my number one job as your pastor and shepherd is to prepare you to meet the God that made you. That's why at Westside, we're not really into felt needs this or that, and here's seven ways to improve your life and all of this stuff. We do series on remember you're going to die, okay? And the reason why is because, well, it leads us now into the next question, which is this. What's the goal of the series, Pastor? Okay, I get it. This is heavy, and, and, and can I just say on the... On the front end here, this is probably not going to be your most favorite sermon series that we've ever done. It's probably going to be like, man, this is kind of heavy. Man, this makes me uncomfortable. And the reason why that response comes to you is the very reason why we need to spend time on this. There's almost like a layer that we have to shake off of us that the world reminds us every second of every day, what we're going to get into next week is why we don't think about this. Because the world literally has professions of every second of every day to remind you to forget that you are not immortal. So what's the goal? Where are we going with this? Why are we going to spend this much time on such a heavy topic? Ah, Psalm 90. Psalm 90. Um, In your Bible, you'll see the heading of Psalm 90. It says that it's written by Moses, a man of God. A man of God. Here's what we know about Psalm 90. Psalm 90 is one of the first things that Moses ever wrote down. Most scholars agree that apart from the book of Job, Psalm 90 is the oldest portion of your Bible. Now think about this. That has profound implications. That one of the oldest writings in your Bible, one of the very first things that Charlton Heston wrote down, okay, are you with me? One of the first things that Moses said, I have to write this down inspired by the Spirit of God literally is a psalm about how our life is fleeting and how we are going to die. If I were to summarize it, I would summarize it this way. The theme of Psalm 90 is God's greatness and man's weakness in light of that. And notice how the psalm starts. The psalm starts with God. It doesn't start with man. And and can I just say something on the forefront? Every great theologian, whether it be John Calvin with his institutes or anyone who really wants to wrestle with the great questions of life understands something that in order for you to get a grip on your life, some of you have come in here today for the very first time, and you're like, you know what? It's the start of the new year. I've got some stuff going on in my life, and man, I've lived a life. I've gone some places. I've seen some things. I've made some choices. Almost sound like a country song right now, right? You know, And and, and I've done some things, and I know what life is not about, and I need to find out what it really is about. And so you've come in here, and if there's one thing that I can tell you, the wisest thing that you can do with your life is to not start with you. Because it's not about you. It's not about you. Your relationships, your job, your finances, all of that. The world screams at you 24-7 to satisfy you. And humanity has spent hours and millions and millions of dollars. And I don't know about you, but when I survey humanity, they look pretty miserable right now. We look like we are struggling. And what Psalm 90 says is don't start with you. Start with God. But in the psalm, he's doing something. Moses is showing us something through language. That's why we want your Bible in your hand. We want you to see this. Um, Look at the first two verses, what Moses says, how he describes God. Lord, that's great. It's literally the very first word. Lord, you have been our dwelling place in all generations. You know what's interesting? Moses is writing this while they're wandering in the desert. They don't have a dwelling place. But Moses is saying that God... No matter where you are is your dwelling place. Hey, listen, can I get to preaching right now? This ain't even in my notes, but this is for free. Some of you feel like you are wandering tossed to and fro, and you have tried to lay those expectations and those hopes on every relationship and every job and every everything, and this person's gonna give me what I need, and this job is gonna fulfill me, and now we got the house, and now we got the fence, and then we added on the sunroom. Gotta have the riverboat. And now we got the boat, and now we got, and you are constantly trying to satisfy that discontentment. And what Moses is saying very simply is this you start with the Lord. You start with the Lord. And then he describes him this way Before the mountains were brought forth, or ever you had formed the earth and the world, you are from everlasting to everlasting, you are, O oh God. Anytime the Bible mentions mountains, they're meaning, they're they're comparing and contrasting. And what Moses is saying is that God is stable, that God isn't going anywhere, that God has always been literally from everlasting to everlasting. And then there's that very famous quote that a thousand years is literally just as a day in your sight. That's how Moses is describing the bigness and greatness of God. And then he describes us and mankind. And look at what he says. The years of our life are 70, eh, or even by reason of strength, 80. Right? Isn't, this is incredible. Long before there was science and technology or anything like that, Literally, now doctors would average out that the average life expectancy is 79 years. Anything else over that is bonus, right? And Moses, long before anything, inspired by the Spirit of God, says, at best, you're going to live 70, maybe 80 years. Yet, their span is but toil and trouble. Now, here it is they are soon gone and we fly away. Do you see what he's comparing and trusting? That God is from everlasting, that God remains, but yet we are so fleeting. And the reason why this is so important for us to understand, well, listen, here's the goal. This is the big idea. This is why we're spending time on this. The goal of this entire series, the goal of this entire series is that By remembering our death, that we would renew our lives. I think we have the slide for that. By remembering our death, that we would renew our lives. That everything would now come in focus in light of our death. And Moses has this haunting phrase right there in verse 12. If there's a theme verse for us, it is verse 12. So teach us to number our days so that we may get a heart of wisdom. That's incredible. Did you know that this is the exact opposite of the world's wisdom? Like everything in you right now is like, well, that doesn't sound good at all. We're going to go on vacation on the next six weeks. This is like, how is that wise? I love the way that the New Living Translation puts it. It puts it this way. Um, It says for us to focus, teach us to realize the brevity of life so that because we may grow in wisdom. Um, We're going to get into a number of verses. But did you know um, that the Bible actually says that it's better for you to go to a funeral than to go to a party? And then it says, because this is the end of all mankind, and the wise will lay it to heart. Listen, do you want wisdom in your life? Oh, y'all wise? Y'all need no wisdom or nothing like that? Do you want wisdom in your relationships? Do you want wisdom in walking with Christ? I ask for that every day of my life. And what the Scriptures are teaching us is this is the doorway to wisdom. Understanding your frailty and the majesty of God is the very first thing. Why? Why is that wise? Well, I love the way that one scholar put it. His name is Jose Maria. And he says this At least once daily, cast your mind ahead to the moment of death so that you can consider the events of each day in this light. Do you know why he's saying that? He says this Remember that moment. So every decision that you make throughout the day will be filtered through that moment and watch your priorities shift and change. Because when you think about that, all of a sudden you take a breath and you realize if the counters aren't cleaned, it's okay right now. If I didn't get to drive by and drop off the thing, it's okay right now. Um, One doctor did this, and I think this is a great illustration. Leslie Weatherhead averaged out the average human lifespan, which is about 79 years, and compared it to a 24-hour day. So, one life is one 24-hour day. Listen to these statistics. If you are 15 years old, it's already 1025 a.m., if you're 20, it's 11.34 a.m. If you're 25, the time is 12.42 p.m. If you're 30, the time is one fifty-one. If you're 35, it's 3 o'clock. If you're 40, it's 4.08. At age 45, the time is 5.15. If you're 50, the time is 6.25. By age 55, the time is 7.24 p.m. If you're 60, the time is 8.42. If you're 65, the time is 9.51. And if you're 70, it's 11 p.m. What does that do for you? What comes to the surface? What, what begins to shift and change in your priorities? You see, one of the main reasons... Um, one of the main reasons why I really felt compelled to do this series is I spend a lot of time next to bedsides or hospital beds where there's been a diagnosis. And I get to have these conversations... With people that are on the brink of eternity. And what always gets brought up, what always gets brought up is a regret, plagued with it, weeping, wishing for more time. And I realize this regrets are the result of failing to remember our death. Because you see that while we were young or while the health was good, that was far from our mind and we always told ourselves, well, I'll get around to it and I'll call them and I'll visit them and I'll write the letter and I'll do that. And life has a way of constantly pushing those things to the side. Um, There is one author by the name of Bronnie Weir She's an Australian author, and she spent a number of years as a hospice caregiver. Now, she's originally an author, but she worked part-time for a number of years at people's bedsides as they were preparing to die, making sure that they were comfortable reading scriptures to them. And it compelled her so much that she wrote a book which became a New York Times bestseller, which is entitled, The Top Five Regrets of the Dying. And she literally spent countless hours by people who were on the brink of eternity. And there were a number of things that kept popping and rising to the surface, no matter the age, no matter the conversation. And here are the top five of what she says in her book, In Descending Order. The first one is this. I wish I had the courage to live a true life to myself, not the life that others expected of me. I wish that I had lived a true life and not lived up to the expectations of everyone else. People said that often. Number four, I wish I hadn't worked so hard. She says in the book, she's never had a conversation with anyone who was so proud about those two weeks of putting in 100 hours. What they're asking is for that time back. Um, Number three, I wish I'd had the courage to express my feelings. Of how I really felt, and not just lived this yes, yes, and then riddled with anxiety every day. Number two, I wish I had stayed in touch with my friends. She said that oftentimes people at the bedside would tell stories. Very interesting, they would tell stories from about a middle school age on upwards. And there's actually a psychological reason because of that is because at that age you tend to be the most carefree. You have responsibilities, but they're very little. And so you get to do what you want. And they would always say, I wonder where those people are. And then the number one thing that they would say is this, I wish that I had let myself be happier. And she says in the book that people regretted so greatly what they thought was important and now lying there not knowing the amount of time realizing how small that thing really is is. Hey, listen, if we're going to be real, if we're going to follow Jesus Christ, if we believe the word of God, if we believe that there is a God that has created the universe, and if we believe that we have inside of us a never dying soul, then we really need to look at these things. But here's what I want. As your pastor, how can I prepare us What the goal is for me, what I want somebody who has gone through years at Westside and been discipled, what I want them to say is what the Apostle Paul said in the book of Philippians. As as the Apostle Paul says, for me to live is Christ, but to die is gain. But to die is gain. How can we get there? I think we get there by learning to number our days. Do you know why I think the gospel um, doesn't hit us like it's supposed to? Why maybe Easter, when you think about it, is that thing that rolls around every year and we get excited, and then a few days later it tends to vanish and the shininess is gone. Well, I'll leave the words to one author in closing that says this. We have no reason to hide from the truth about death in all of its ugliness. If death is not a problem, then Jesus won't be much of a solution. I need to read that again. If death is not a problem, Jesus won't be much of a solution. The more deeply we feel death's sting, the more consciously we will feel the Gospel's healing power. The more carefully we number our days, the more joyfully we will hear that death's days are numbered too. And the more that we allow ourselves to grieve the separations that death brings into our lives, the more fully we will long for the world in which he writes. He will wipe away every tear from their eyes and death shall be no more. Neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain any more. Listen, I come telling you good news that death does not have the final say. That Jesus is physically alive somewhere today. And the Bible says that He holds in His hands the keys of death and Hades. And there is a day, oh, there is a day when Jesus makes every wrong right and He breathes on the enemy and He throws them into the lake of fire. And from that moment forward, there's no more funerals. There's no more cancer. There's no more death. But until that day, We have to live this day. And we live every day in light of that day. So how do we start? We're going to get into a number of questions. What happens to you after you die? Heaven? We're going to talk about all of those things. But we have to start here first. So I have a very specific application for you that I bet none of y'all are going to do this week, but I'm going to say it anyway, okay? The first one is this. If you want to be a Bible person, do what Moses said. Spend 10 to 15 minutes each day this week meditating on Psalm chapter 90 verse 12. Teach us to number our days and just see where your mind goes to. Um, Lastly, if you really want to do this, if you really want to go on this journey, write your own obituary. We have up here by the communion tables... Um, a prompting and a guide to help you do this. If you're in a community group, this is massively important for you to write that and to read that and to share that at group and to see what comes to the surface. Do you know what I believe from meditating on this series? Do you know what I believe will happen as we face death? I believe that there's gonna be relationships that are gonna be renewed and have new life. I believe that there are going to be people who are living in the hustle and bustle of every day, who are exhausted and filled with anxiety, are finally going to stop and meditate on that day and change how they live each day. This is the journey that we're going on. And Westside, I believe this, that when we remember our death, God will renew our lives. Heavenly Father, we come before you today grateful for your word. God, we are grateful even when it is a heavy word. God, I literally feel it physically preaching that there's almost a resistance to this. And I believe that what the enemy wants is for us to stay numb and to stay asleep and to let our lives pass us by until one day, when we are laying on that bed and we say the I wish, I wish. Oh God, don't let it be. Don't let it be for the people in this room. May we echo and say what Paul has said, to live is Christ, to die is gain. God, I pray that we would focus and live each day in light of that day. Holy Spirit, have your way with us. Empower us through the week as some of us sit down and actually write this out. I pray that you would speak. I pray that you would move. We are thankful that death does not have the final word, but Jesus is alive. We pray this all in the risen and mighty name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. Would you stand?